John 7, continuing our study of this gospel, seeing Jesus, as we just finished singing about, show us Christ. That's the prayer of our hearts, right? There's so many things that are dark and bleak and dismal when we're looking inside of ourselves or analyzing ourselves, our own lives, our own frustrations or things that we wish would be different or whatever. And there's so much ingratitude and joylessness sometimes. And then we look around at our world and there isn't much help out there, is there? All the voices that we hear continually kind of preaching gloom and doom to us, whether people on the news or podcasters or whatever, there's so much darkness and so many lies and we need, we need to hear from Christ, we need to see Christ, and that is what we are going to do this morning in John chapter 7. One of the things that I have become very thankful for in life um, I have a number of, of trusted friends, good friends who, who know me really well and still like me, which is nice, uh, and they're trusted friends who have had the courage at times to, to probe into my soul, to ask me deep, penetrating questions, take interest in what I value, what my hopes are how I end up getting distracted and how I can sort of sabotage myself sometimes. I mean, people who have taken interest and asked questions and helped to expose, kind of cut deep within who I am to expose some of the, some of the darker sides of, of who I am and who have done that not in order to hurt me, not in order to like knock me down or kick me while I'm down, but, but in order to help me, in order to speak the truth to me. I'm sure that resonates with you on some level. You can understand, appreciate the value of a relationship in which there's that kind of conversation, meaningful conversation, like, like cutting beneath all the surfacey stuff, you know, all the external stuff. We can even come to church sometimes, we can put on the painted smile and we dress up nice, but there's stuff going on inside sometimes that we don't, we don't talk about, we don't reveal. And so when someone takes interest and penetrates into that place and wants good for you in doing so, boy, that is valuable. And really, I think that's a, a little trace, a little manifestation of the heart of Jesus. It's an embodiment of, it's an incarnation of the kind of love that Jesus has for us and the kind of love that he exhibited while he was here. You see, Jesus is the preeminent truth teller. This morning's message is entitled, Jesus the Preeminent Prophet. That might seem confusing. What's that have to do with telling the truth? When you think of a prophet, you probably tend to think of one who predicts the future. That's what we think of when we hear the word prophet, isn't it? But not only is a prophet a foreteller, a prophet is also a forth-teller. A prophet is a speaker of truth. A prophet is one, biblically speaking, a prophet is one who has heard from God and has a word from God or a message from God and conveys that to people. And Jesus is the prophet with a capital P. He is the truth teller. And when Jesus speaks truth, he does so in order to reveal two things. Number one, in order to reveal our desperate need, our need for our Creator. And number two, his provision, all that he is for us. That's what Christ is always saying. And that's what we see in our passage in John chapter 7 
this morning. And I want to remind you, we're going to review verses 37 through 39, which we covered last week, but I want to say a little bit more about it, so we included this within our passage for this morning. And it really prepares us for what follows, where there's this kind of like division again occurring in the crowd there. People who were for him, people who were against him. But to appreciate what that was all about, you gotta, you got to value what he's saying here in verses 37 through 39. So read it again with me and hear freshly this proclamation of Jesus to the deepest parts of your soul this morning. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. There is Jesus, the last day, the great day of the Feast of Booths, which we've been talking about for a few weeks This time when the Israelites commemorated God taking care of them as they wandered in the wilderness in temporary tents. And God took care of their every need, including their need for water. I mean, what is more important than water? And God continually provided for their need of water. Well, here at this feast, there were many ceremonies. And I read a detailed description of what the ceremonies entailed last week. So I won't do that again this morning. But just to remind you, and for those who weren't here, what they would do is they had these different like, rituals where they would go out of the temple, they would take water in these special containers, they would bring them back into the temple, they would pour them out as an offering, and it was all to commemorate, all to remember God's provision of water. Arguably the most necessary element in this world, that God provided for them what they needed. They had all those rituals, all those ceremonies, And the people were engaged and preoccupied as they were doing their normal thing, going through their motions with the ceremonies about the water. And in that context, Jesus stands up and says, is anyone thirsty? If anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. I'm the water you need the most. And then he says, this is about the Spirit. Verse 39. It's about the Spirit, which is to say what, the, what water is for the body, the Spirit is for the soul. Water is, is life for your body. Water is refreshment for your body. The Spirit is life for your soul. Spirit is refreshment for your soul. And the Spirit is given in abundant supply, limitless supply He says, if anyone drinks this water from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. There's no end. Limitless supply coming from a limitless God. For the emptiness of our soul. For the thirst of our soul. I'm sure back then, just like today, there were many in the room who looked good on the outside, everything appeared to be fine, but inside their soul was shriveling up like a dried prune. Filled with anxiety or fear or frustration of one kind or another. Maybe blinded, blinded by 
desires for more in life or wishing something could be better or maybe even an expectation of the Messiah and thinking, when is the Messiah going to come and finally get rid of these Romans and all the suffering and all that they're doing to harm us? I mean, when is God going to finally take care of what we need Him to take care of? And isn't it ironic that in that same place, God is right there saying, I am here and I am everything you need. Isn't that the case? So frequently blinded by our desires for what could be or what should be. And God is saying, and I believe he's saying the same thing to us this morning, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. I have water for you that is limitless. I give you my spirit. The spirit is the wellspring of life and love and joy and peace that doesn't come from within, doesn't come from efforts or our own merits. It's a gift of grace. And it was all prophesied. Touched on this last week as well. But just a few, a few prophecies from Isaiah just to remind you. These things were predicted many, many years earlier. Isaiah 44 verse 3. Speaking of the Messianic age, it says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This picture of God just generously pouring out His Spirit on His people like water. Isaiah 58, verse 11, And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones, and you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Like a spring of water just keeps going and going and going and going and flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing with water. For people who are very familiar with dry, desert climate, this was even typically a dry time of year for them. So feeling that in their physical bodies, and here again is Jesus, as we've been seeing all throughout the Gospel of John, here again he's saying, yeah, listen to your bodies, and more importantly, listen to your soul. That's a little window into your soul and all that you need, and Jesus is declaring himself to be all they need on the provision And the Spirit is coming. When I go, the Spirit's going to come and He's going to be your provision. All of this linking us to the very life of God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. Offering Himself freely to us. So that is is the context in which this division occurs. Again, I mean, Jesus speaks, He tends to divide the room. That's what happens. So read with me verses 40 through 53 again. And as we read through the narrative here, just notice the two different sides. There are those who embraced him and received him and saw him as the, the promised prophet. And we'll talk more about what that means. But then there are those who denied him as well. So, so read with me verses 40 through 53. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, certainly this is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not Scripture said that the Christ come from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, 
Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. And then in verse 53, everyone went to his home. So no small controversy ensues as Jesus proclaims himself to be the source of life in their midst. And we do see, first of all, we're going to observe these people who did embrace him. Notice again verse 40, there was some who heard the words that he was saying, what he was proclaiming, and they said, this certainly is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ, and others were questioning. But, but I just want to focus on this the idea of him being the prophet for a moment. That seems to be most prominent in this passage because it comes up again later when they're disputing that fact. But I want you to think about Jesus as prophet for a little more uh, time here because we don't tend to think of him as prophet. We think of him as Messiah, Lord, all these different titles, shepherd, but he's also a prophet. As I mentioned earlier, that, that does not just mean one who tells the future, though Jesus certainly does foretell the future in places. But it more so has to do one who proclaims truth from God. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And they're noticing and they're believing that he is, in fact, the prophet. Like the preeminent prophet, the premier prophet. There were many prophets in the Old Testament. Estimates are somewhere over 80 prophets in the Old Testament. Prophet after prophet after prophet, looking forward, looking forward, looking forward. And here we are to the one whom they were looking forward to. The one to whom most prophecies pointed is this prophet, Jesus. Here he is. And they say, hey, this is him. This is him. Now I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy 18. Turn back to Deuteronomy 18 because this is where... God predicts through Moses that this is going to happen. Deuteronomy 18, and I want to make a couple observations here. Just shows the the beauty, the harmony, and the symmetry of Scripture. Notice verses 15 through 19. In this context, God is warning His people about voices of deception and witchcraft and all these different liars in their community or surrounding their community in verse 15 he says then this is um sorry moses speaking the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your countrymen you shall listen to him this is according to all that you asked of the lord your god in horeb on the day of the assembly saying let me not hear again the voice of the lord my god let me not see this great fire anymore or i will die the lord said to me they have spoken well I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So do you see this promise of a prophet who will come, who will be from among their countrymen, one like them? He will speak the very words of God, and God says, and I will hold them accountable for what they do with what they hear. Sounds a lot like the ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? As he's been saying over and over again, hey, I'm declaring to you what I've heard from my Father. I'm showing you what I've seen with my Father. That was his message the whole time. And he was one from among them. Was he not a a human being and an Israelite? One of their brothers. All in fulfillment of this promise. Way back when in Deuteronomy, a thousand years earlier or so. 
He checks all the boxes in terms of what this prophet would be like. The prophet they themselves had asked for. Notice again verse 16, and we're going to make another insightful observation about this. It's really fascinating. Notice verse 16. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb, Moses says, on the day of the assembly. When you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. Now, now what is that talking about? I mean, if I hear from God again, if I see anything like this again, I'm going to die. You know what they're talking about? Let's go back to Exodus and we're going to see what they're talking about. Exodus 19. The scene on Mount Sinai when God gives the law to Moses. Moses functioning as a mediator between God and the people. And notice how vivid the description is and how impressive this scene is and frankly how frightening this scene is. Starting in verse 10 of Exodus 19. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Pretty extreme, right? No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. I mean, you you get the scene that's being described here? Verse 18, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord God came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Stop there for the moment. Impressive scene, incredible sights understandably terrifying. You ever have a, a loud rumbling of thunder wake you up in the middle of the night? That happened not too long ago where we live, at least in Coventry. Loud rumbling and it's just the whole house shakes. I mean, this was the scene and there was smoke and there was fire and there were trumpet blasts and it was this super impressive meeting between God and Moses and the people stood back and watched and they were fearful and God even gave them explicitly reason to be fearful. He said, don't touch the mountain or you'll die. It's a big deal. It's pretty serious. Stakes are pretty high. And then what comes following? Turn over to chapter 20 and just look at verses 18 and 19. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. 
And that's right after the giving of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. This is Mount Sinai. This is God at a distance. This is God saying, look, humans, listen. If you are to be righteous, if you are to relate rightly to me and your fellow man, this is what it has to look like. And attending the giving of that message of the Ten Commandments and the details of the Ten Commandments, there are all these impressive flashes of lightning and thunder rumbling and earthquakes and fire and smoke and the threat of death. I mean, an ominous scene. All representing the the distance between God and man in terms of God's holiness and man's commonness. God's perfect righteousness and man's unrighteousness. Really, the distance is infinite. And the people knew something of the severity of this, and they said, "Uh, please, just can you deal with us in some other way? We can't even handle this. I mean, they're trembling on the inside. And as we read in Deuteronomy, God said, yes, I I I will raise up a prophet for you, one who is like you, one who is on your level, one who will come to you right where you're at in all of your need and all of your unrighteousness and all of your commonness and all of your foolishness. One who will come to you and meet you right where you are. Sinai represents the distance of God and the demand of God. Jesus represents the closeness of God and the provision of God. And without that closeness and without that provision, we would be utterly helpless and hopeless. But he came, and he's standing there in their midst, and he says, I'm here. I mean, like, just picture standing in the desert, the sun beating down on you. You are just wasting away. You're dying of thirst, and all of a sudden, a geyser shoots up from the ground, and all this water is coming out. And you would run to the waters, and you would dance in the waters, and you would drink the waters, and you would celebrate the waters. Because it's so good. And some of the people here, that's what they're doing. This is this him. This is him. I think this is him. Even later, the, the officers, they sent the officers to go take him. And they came back empty-handed and said, we're not going to take him. Have you ever heard the way this guy talks? I mean, he cuts right through the depths of your soul. We've never heard anybody that teaches like this. And then they grumble and complain. The Pharisees like, well, no, none of the leaders believe in him. And uh, Nicodemus, who's still being a little bit sheepish, is like, well, uh, hey, just for fun, for a second, guys, doesn't the law have to hear somebody first? And, I mean, he's being a little bit subtle about this, but if you know the story of Nicodemus from chapter 3, here in chapter 7, later I think it's in chapter 19, he's one of the ones who shows up to attend to the body of Jesus himself. Leaders, so were they technically correct? They weren't even technically correct because there was a leader who was coming to believe in Jesus, and his name was Nicodemus. And this is grumbling. You heard me read it earlier, but oh, well, there's no prophet that comes out of Galilee. I mean, he's supposed to be from uh, Bethlehem. So there's all this confusion they're creating. And the reality was, uh, you can both be born in Bethlehem and come through Galilee, can't you? You can. And he did. They were technically wrong on a number of levels. They were also technically wrong because there were prophets from Galilee. In fact, Jonah himself had come from the land that came to be known as Galilee. So there's so many problems, but just think of the irony of that 
Envision again that desert scene and finally water shoots up from this spring under the ground and there's all this abundance of water and, and dancing and enjoying and drinking and then some people just standing back and saying, I don't think so. I mean, suspicious and skeptical and missing out on the water, on the refreshment, on God standing right there offering himself to them, offering his provisions. Saying, yeah, remember the commandments? No other gods before me. All the way down the list, no graven images. All the way down the list until you get to this part about relationships between people and obeying your parents and not lying and not stealing and not committing adultery. Then you think about how Jesus elaborated on the law, saying, hey, this is the intent of it all. Basically, be perfect as your father is perfect. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you have no chance. This is what he wants you to come to the conclusion. I have no chance. I can't do it. I don't have it. I'm empty. Bingo. I'm fullness. The Spirit is infinite. Abundant supply. He is for you. This is, um, in theological categories, this is new covenant truth. You know, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. This is new covenant truth about the provisions of the Spirit coming through faith in Jesus. Coming when the heart cry is not show me what to do and show me how I can improve and show me this, but show us Christ because He is the source. Of all that is good. He is a source of all life and all love and all joy and all peace. So he offers himself to us. He offers his provisions to us. He understands that it can be problematic for us in our humanness and in our religiosity and our desire for control or for predictability or for security. You ever ride um, you ever ride a roller coaster and want to put your hands up but you find that you can't quite do it? <laughs> if you're like me, you know what that feels like. Although my daughters who love roller coasters have taken me on so many by this point, I'm like, whatever. So I could just put, put the hands up, fine. If I go flying out, I go flying out. But, you know, it's like you, you hold on because you, you just feel like, okay, kind of taking a chance here, and we know, you know, odds are you're going to be fine. Okay, roller coasters are great, so don't get too negative on me here. But just for the moment, you know what I mean. Like, it's your, you're just you're holding on because you're trying to secure it. It's hard to just enjoy it and just throw your hands up and just enjoy it. There's something of an analogy in that. We're like, the, the harder we work to manage our life and control our life and control people around us, the more we even leverage our religious beliefs and our religious practices to do the same thing, to try to get everything just so, to try to get ourselves just so, to try to make ourselves righteous, to try to make everything around us righteous. Like, what a joke, right? But to try to do that, meanwhile, we're just shriveling up inside. And there isn't freedom and there isn't joy. And there isn't peace. And sometimes we're like, like a pressure cooker. And I, uh, this morning, I'll confess to you, I kind of barked at one of my children. I was feeling, as I was preparing message and 
lots of other things. We had a very busy weekend. And you know what that feels like? You just like a pressure cooker in your head, right? So like whoever the unsuspecting person is who's going to come up and like press the button, and they don't even know what they're about to get, but they'll like press the button and right? And even as we're driving in and, and I'm thinking, man, it's, my, uh, it's one of my kids' birthdays today. And I've been so preoccupied with myself and my responsibilities and my pressures and my this and my that, I can't even see anyone else. And blind to, if anyone's thirsty, let them come to me and drink. I'll supply living waters that will flow from you like a river, endless in supply. I mean, aren't we so often just blinded by our own desires and our own, it should be, it ought to be, it's got to be this way, it's got the control. And God lovingly, patiently speaks truth to us. He says, I'm for you. I love you. You're righteous in Christ. I've got you taken care of. I've got your family taken care of. I've got your church taken care of. It's right where it's supposed to be. It's right where it's supposed to be. Wait, God, what? But look at all the loose ends. I mean, look at all the things that are not. And what about this? And what about that? It's like, did you hear me? I said, he who lives and believes in me will never die. Did you hear that? So what is it then? That's so important. He said also, even he will live even though he dies. Yeah, your body's going to die. It is. You're going to die. Even uh, therapists, psychologists say, you know, people actually tend to do better if they can just accept their mortality. Like the more you try to prevent death, the more you rob yourself of any ability to live life. Isn't that interesting? Something, again, about that human just uh, obsession and preoccupation, just holding on tight, baby. And here's a God who says, hey, I'm okay. Sinai, okay, this is what you humans seem to want. Okay, here's the loss. Here's what would it look like to be righteous. Here's the, here's the demand of it. Here's the severity of it. Here's the sentence of death that comes along with it. Is that what you want? Oh, no, no, that's oh, terrifying. Okay, so then what, a prophet's going to come. He's going to come from among you. He's going to be meek. Gentle, he's going to minister to the lowly, the outcast, to the person who knows they have nothing to offer, to the tax collector, to the prostitute, to the religious guy, Nicodemus, who's just like probably sick of it all. Coming for you, coming to bring you and give you everything. And heart is filled again from God. It's from that fullness. It's from that fullness when we see that in Christ I have all that I need. And now it frees us, as Luther said, it frees us to actually then see the people around us and maybe serve and tend to one of their needs for a change instead of ourselves. Which is, by the way, the definition of love, isn't it? You see how that works? It is of God. It is His Spirit granted to us. It's a gift of grace. So every day, you, like me, I'm sure, hear lots of voices, okay? 
uh, voices in our own minds, lots of chatter going on in there. Voices on the sound waves. I mean, I don't. I mean, does this happen to you? Like, if you ever, you ever come home to your house and you're by yourself, and there's no TV on, no radio on, no podcast, no phone playing. It's just silent. That's really weird, isn't it? Today, it's like strange. Even still, you could have like little voices in your head of thinking about things or whatever. But I mean, usually it's like, well, I got to turn something on. Phone, whatever, the headphones in, right? The earbuds, like we got to get something sound. That's a norm for, for many of us. Many of us fall asleep at night listening to a favorite podcast or whatever. Like we're just used to, and that's fine and good, and we're hearing all sorts of things. But, but the things we're hearing are not all created equal, are they? Like some things are helpful, and other things can just kind of discourage or, you know, entice us in some way or whatever. But what we need, what we need the most is to hear from God. And every day God is speaking to us. Isn't that awesome? I mean, every day, uh, it says in Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Every day creation itself is speaking to us that we have a God who is behind all of this, including our existence. Every day he's speaking that to us. Every day scripture is available to us and is speaking to us and we're so rich in our country. We have the physical Bible. I have like several different copies of the Bible. We got it on our phones. I've got, I've got three Bible apps on my phone just to speak of how much Bible we have available to us. And every day through scripture, God is speaking to us in the loudest and clearest way God speaks to us is through Christ. Even as it says in Hebrews 1, and you'll recognize this, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. Through Jesus, He's told us everything we need to know. He has spoken to us words of need and words of provision. Words of death, that is death when it comes to our existence apart from God, and words of life when it comes to all that God has done for us and the new life He's given us in Christ. Words of death and life. Words that uncover us, words that humiliate us, that reveal our brokenness, that reveal our need, and also words that simultaneously comfort us and cover us and honor us as beloved children of God. Every day, Christ is speaking to us of His provision. Every day we're invited to think about the cross, to think about what it represents. Our guilt, our shame, our deservedness when it comes to curse. And it speaks to us of God's provision, taking our place, dying for us. Our true King. Every day, God speaks. He is our greatest friend. He speaks to the deepest recesses of our hearts. He knows us better than anyone else knows us, better than we know ourselves, and He speaks words of life to us. His words are truthful. They're penetrating. They are uh, definitely controversial. And thankfully, through His Spirit, He even helps us to hear and understand and that resonance that you, send, that you sense within yourself that says, yes, that's true, that's my only hope. It's God graciously even helping you to see that this is true, that, it's, that even though it sounds too good to be true, that it is true, that that's who your God is, that He is for you, and He's the wellspring of water, of life, of love, 
and uh, we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word in John 7. Thank you that we can read of these interactions. And when we do, we're acquainted once again with ourselves. We're acquainted with our own need. We're acquainted with our own brokenness. And we're acquainted with your amazing provision of mercy and grace. God, we confess to you that so frequently we are devoid of gratitude. We're devoid of thoughts of others because we're just so fixated on what we think should be, ought to be, must be. At times we can, we can even hear your still small voice and, and we can be skeptical or suspicious scared. We thank you for your relentlessness. Thank you for your tenacity in coming after us. Thank you for sending your Son and and sending your Spirit who opens our eyes to admit that this is true. We are your creatures made in your image. And that we are rebels against you and we so often think we know better than you. And that we're controlled and enslaved by our own lusts and desires of the irreligious sort, of the religious sort. And that you see all of that and you have mercy on us. You have mercy on us and what would be apart from you nothing but a dried, shriveled up soul And into that soul you pour water and you give new life and you give growth and you give fruit. Fruit involving a supernatural ability to look beyond our own selves, our own lives, our own interests and to see others. Fruitfulness and ability to to serve and help come alongside to both feel and exhibit compassion for others, all from the life of your Spirit. So we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his approach. If it weren't for your kindness, all we would have would be Sinai and we would be hopeless. But Because of your kindness, we have the cross. We have the source of greatest hope. We have the promise of resurrection and eternal life, which is knowing you now and forever. And so thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you are doing. And thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.